This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Welcome to um, uh, the first of what we hope will be uh, a number of uh, workforce-related conversations uh, with a number of the people out there in the sport and physical activity sector who are you know, here to support the development of, of the people who are at the front line of providing physical activity experiences for a broader range of people out there. Uh, I am very privileged today to be joined by uh, uh, two, two of the you know, kind of primary people who are, who are responsible for this, one of whom is responsible for my employment. That's Tim Hollingsworth. Tim, uh, great, to, uh, great to have you here. Good morning, Stuart. I'm delighted to be here, and it's uh, um, a really important moment, actually. And um, <clears throat> and also, I'm joined by uh, Mark Gannon, the uh, Chief Executive Officer of uh, UK Coaching, uh, who, again, you know, um, uh, in my job within Sports England, we wouldn't be able to be able to get out there and support coaches without the great support that they provide. So, Mark, great to have you with us. Thank you, Stuart, and uh, good morning, Tim. <laughs> My job today really is just to sort of guide a conversation a little bit and to talk and to just sort of um, move us around in the themes and to try and sort of blend into the background wherever possible. But I just wanted to start off, Tim, maybe just to get you to, um, you know, it's been a it's it's been a very um, uh, interesting, shall we say, or challenging experience over the last, uh, you know, month, six weeks or thereabouts. And, um, you know, our our work has been very much trying to support the sector and, uh, and, and our thoughts are now beginning to turn to how we can support, uh, you know, the members of our workforce to, to, you know, to get back involved and to support people in their, in their activity journey. So just really, I guess, some reflections initially and then, uh, and then just some thoughts around that. Sure. Thank you, Stuart. Yes, I mean, I, I think all of this we should couch in terms of uh, people. Um, you know, when we're normally talking about people, uh, we're thinking about the workforce element of people. Uh, and you know how you deploy resources and where it's most needed and what are the skills and experience that's needed. But my core reflection of this period uh, has been the need to focus on people uh, as individuals and you know the way that um, both whether or not they're employees or whether they're your friends or your family or whether you're your work colleagues or people that you work with and for around uh, a normal coaching environment. At the, at the heart of everything at the, at the last six or eight weeks for me has been the sense of understanding that there is no one, um, you know, a phrase that I heard the other day, you know, while we're all in the same storm, we're not by any means all in the same boat. And I think there's a presumption sometimes that, you know, whatever we're experiencing and feeling is therefore the same for everyone. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. So part of my reflection and thinking about what this means for the future is to start there and think about, you know, what's been most important here has been people's physical and mental health um, as individuals way before we get to the point about organisations or or communities. Um, And I think that was partly why when we started our response at Sport England, we recognised the need for really only two priorities at this point. One was as an investor in sport and physical activity and as a public body with you know, a relative amount of reserve around our lottery income, which is slightly, won't go into it, but it's a slightly staggered, you know, relationship between sales and receiving the money. So there's a sort of historic lag. So we had the, we had some resource and some capacity that many organizations felt very acutely suddenly disappeared almost overnight. So one of our key challenges and, and uh, responsibilities was to see what we could do both in the short term and then planning for the future around supporting the sector. And that was about making 
clear-headed decisions about investments that could sustain where we knew we would need people when we came out of this crisis and where we would need organisations still to be positioned and not only able to survive, but hopefully be ready to thrive again. And so that investment, which is now up to a £210 million package, is, is, is being one of the key focus areas for us. I say now up to 210 because it was initially 195, but we've put another 15 million into the emergency open fund, the community emergency fund uh, that we uh, put, put forward to generally support those sports clubs and local community groups who are the absolute lifeblood of the provision of sport and physical activity in this country when it comes to people actually participating at grassroots in community sport. So, you know, recognising the need there and, and recognising that as a result, the, the, the oversubscription for that, if you like, we've had twice as many applications in six weeks from the, for the Community Emergency Fund than we get in an entire year for our normal open funds. Um, you know, whether that's Community Asset Fund, which is facilities, or our Sport Grants Fund, which is uh, to help people uh, run programmes. Um, which just tells you the scale of the challenge, because that's not drying up at all. And in fact, we're going to have to pause it while we take stock on where we are. But alongside that, it was about support for um, uh, some of the other community groups are perhaps less visible, not necessarily affiliated with governing bodies, not necessarily feeling that they're part of the landscape. And that's really important, too, because many coaches and uh, people involved and hopefully listening to this uh, podcast will feel that that's where they belong and that's where they sit, that they're not necessarily part of, you know, the formal affiliated structures of sports. They're actually working in their communities and often trying to support communities who are less well served when it comes to sport and physical activity. And then lastly, you know, focusing very much on our support for where we critical organisations that we knew were going to help us through this and out of the other side. And, you know, UK coaching is one of those in relation to how we see organizations who play a role in creating this sort of ecosystem of support for people's daily activity. And when you come to look at it in those terms, that was a very clear-headed decision about investment, but we also needed to think about investing in uh, people's uh, health and well-being. So the focus around, maybe we'll come onto this, but keeping the nation active, putting together the campaign, the Join the Movement campaign, to think about even within the relative restrictions, significant restrictions, I should say, that were imposed at the start of lockdown, there was still the opportunity to get out once a day and there was still every opportunity to do stuff in the home. And I'm sure there was a lot of adaptation from people who would normally be running courses or one-on-ones to think about actually what they could do online uh, and, and still maintain some relationship with people. But by and large, obviously, that was about people just finding something that could work for them. So really, we didn't shift from the view that at least for the period of the last six or eight weeks, we should be thinking about those two things. What can we do financially to support the sector and with advice and support? Um, and what can we do to try and keep the nation active? That hasn't really changed, but very quickly, because I know you want to sort of move on to sort of people-based stuff, but there's really, you know, an element of that that has shifted in the last couple of weeks, which has been, uh, we're recording this just after the Prime Minister's uh, announcement of the first uh, phase of uh, removing of the restrictions of lockdown which included quite a lot of information about what was now possible outside. Um, and that included uh, a moderate return to sport outside under quite restricted circumstances. It took a huge amount of work quite necessarily for us as Sport England to help government understand the implications and also the opportunities within that. And then lastly, we are turning our focus on uh, where we're headed and really trying to look up from the, from the day to day and realize it will take very different thoughts, very different approaches 
and more importantly, a very different mindset to support you know, people coming ultimately out of this period and making sure that we have learned some of the lessons of this period and have a sector that can best support people's activity again when we go back to whatever normal looks like. Thanks, Tim. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, when you when you actually describe it in you know five or ten minutes as you have, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a bewildering amount of work that's that's gone on. Mark, I imagine it turned to you that you know from your perspective as well. You know, you, you've had to kind of respond quite quickly, and and I, I know and I and I know I was I was fortunate to be to be part of one of the uh, one of the learning and development events that you your team has been running yesterday, and uh, it was by all accounts fairly well received. I seem to seem to think probably anything to do with me with the other guests I imagine but but your team's really responded really quickly to this and um and kind of almost you know been a led the sort of spearhead of been able to support coaches in the time when when they're not able to practice but they are able to help develop their practice so um yeah just just a little bit from you really in terms of your reflections and, and where you've been going yeah thanks Stuart um first of all reflection I completely concur with what Tim said uh, this is a people thing and um more than people, it's a community thing. And I think what we probably realise now quite starkly is that uh, sport and physical activity bring communities together. Um, they in themselves are fantastic mediums to bring communities and people close uh, and to create uh, an environment where everybody can thrive. And I think given what's happened and, and the impact of COVID, we probably realise that more than ever. Um, so really recognition of, of what sport and physical activity brings to our nation is probably highlighted uh, through the fact that it's not there now. Um, that said, uh, coaches and a number of organisations have been quite innovative. Um, you know, you've only got to look at the, the sort of impact that Joe Wicks uh, has had really and taking some of his sessions online and they've probably become a household activity on a, on a week morning certainly and uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of you know, nearly 50 percent of our workforce we estimate through a survey that we've conducted just recently have, have adapted to the situation so you know congratulations to, to those that have adapted but of course it's not anywhere where it used to be in terms of the interaction so what we've had to do is really um become quite digital you know digital natives so in, in just a couple of weeks and a number of our Coaches, you know, tens of thousands of coaches have taken to that quite well. We've put some advice out that, that we've developed on how to go to online. Uh, and I'm sure there's been some challenges for people there, as there, there will for all of us. But uh, the way that the, the whole sector actually has adapted, and particularly the coaching workforce, has, has been quite remarkable. Um, that said, not everybody has, and not everybody's been able to. So, you know, to Tim's point, there are certain communities that are probably not as well equipped to adapt as quickly uh, or, or at all to make sure that they're still bringing people back together again. And it's those communities really that, that need the most support and really the ones that, you know, we need to try and drive towards to give the most support to. And that's why the support from Sport England and, and the funding and, you know, the aspiration to get to those communities that might otherwise miss out um, has been very, you know, well received. Um, yeah, we as an organisation, um, I mean, the good news is, you know, the landscape's been changing for coaching and how we learn and how we develop. So we were actually already on a journey uh, and have invested quite a significant amount over the last 12, 18 months with Sports Sport England in our digital capability. Um, what this has probably done is, is given us a bit of a, a rocket and, and made us 
fast track some of development. Uh, and I'm delighted that every day almost there's a, a further development to our website, ukcoaching.org. Um, but there's plenty of learning and development on there. And we're now starting to see more partners come to the party as well. So that hopefully we can have a, a central point that people can go to, to not just consume our own content, UK coaching's content, but those other providers as well. So in the coming weeks and the coming months, we will be out actively looking for other partners that provide learning and development that we can host on that platform. So coaches don't have to do what they've been doing in the last few weeks and, and trying to find resources from, from everywhere, but there is actually one place that they can come to to get all that they need in terms of support, guidance and advice. And, and that won't be necessarily UK coaching content, but it, it might be a combination of our stuff and other providers, including national governing bodies and partners such as Sport England and Simpsonburg. I think having that um, that kind of almost that sort of one-stop shop type approach, that curated space uh, is definitely going to be of value. I've definitely heard a few people in the uh, who are out there, colleagues of mine or people who I know as coaches who have probably experienced a little bit of webinar weariness, I think. so. And, and it's not always, they're not always sure what they're getting. And um, I think one thing that um, you have definitely seen, I've definitely seen with your, your team, Mark, is, uh, you know, real professionalism in terms of the way you, you put an event on from the perspective of the person who's on the receiving end, but also the people who are involved. So um, that's been great to see. And actually, the more advice you can give to those others out there um, in, in order to provide that kind of online learning is going to be a really interesting thing. Just, just shifting gears a little bit, I mean, and, and you, you alluded to this, Tim, around, um, you know, we're moving into a phase now where activity is beginning to start again. Mm. And um, so um, I think there's going to be quite a lot of responsibility placed on uh, leaders of organizations to provide the right kind of sort of support for some of those people who who are going to be at the front line of this so that they feel a, you know, that they're doing the right thing, but also that they're safe themselves. Yeah. And, and that's a real challenge of leadership. So I just wonder if there's any um, any any thoughts you've got on that. Uh, yes, and I think it's also where it fits as well, Stuart, because one of the most important things is we don't do that in isolation. So actually we recognise um, the sort of changing... Um, the, the, actually, the best context for me is go back to something Mark said, which was um, quite absolutely right, which is there is something in all of this, which, I mean, it is completely feels still wrong to talk about opportunity, but, you know... Um, and anyone who uses that old cliche of saying, you know, never let a good crisis go to work, I think is, you know, go to waste is, is, is massively underestimating the, you know, the negative challenges of the current era and almost mm. being too flippant with them. But what we have to address, and it's our job as leaders to address, is the fact that there will be things happening now where we, if we, if we ignore them when, uh, when there is a more uh, normal turn to activity, we're going to be doing two things. One, we'll be losing innovation. But two, I think we'll be perpetuating some of the uh, failings and the inequalities that are currently fairly embedded in, in uh, the sport and physical activity sector. Um, it's an interesting thought for me, looking at Sport England and our strategy and how we work with organisations, not least with UK coaching, was you know, a general acknowledgement that uh, an upward trend in activity was not being reflected by an evening out of some of the inequalities that were inbuilt within that. You know, so as we saw a nation on the whole get more active, we were still seeing the gaps that were present and they are maintained even during this period. So while 
you know, it's really interesting, really well-meaning, uh, you know, responses from people saying, everyone's doing exercise now. I, you know, I look out of my window and I can't move for people riding their bikes or going for a walk. And that'll only get better now we can play golf or tennis. Um, and actually what that does is, is both point to a truism, which is it is happening in large amounts in lots of communities, but also fails to recognize the inherent imbalance and the inequalities that are, that are there. Uh, not least around social economic circumstance, which is the single biggest still uh, factor. So in, in response to, to, to your thought and your question and, and the role and, and, and the obligation almost on employers, I think we have to be in position to not only think differently, but be behaving very differently when we come more out of lockdown. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of see our strategy development and the way we were thinking about how we would invest we actually were very focused in creating a strategy for sporting and moving forward, where we would be very, very disproportionate and unapologetic about our focus on those inequalities overall. And I think it was going to have to be quite disruptive to get to that point. And the, the, the sort of reflection I've got is, is that the COVID-19 virus has been the single most disruptive element and event we could possibly, you know, ever experienced in our lifetimes. So that sense of disruption is no longer necessary. Mark said almost overnight, things just stopped. So nothing's going on to perpetuate at the moment. You know, so when we, when we return, the obligation is not to throw the pieces up in the air anymore. They've been thrown up really, really high. It's to be clear about, or at least have a very good sense of what picture we want them to form when they, when they fall. And that feels like a different job to that which we were previously undertaking. Um, and it's quite exciting, but it requires leadership and it requires organizations who are thinking about uh, their workforces and their people to be really sensitive to the need to, you know, not just return to where things were. The economic model won't be the same. The social economic model won't be the same. People's activity habits won't be the same. People's relationship with physical activity won't be the same. That's one area where I can feel reasonably op optimistic that overall people will think differently and more positively about being active. Our ongoing weekly survey is pretty consistently measuring about nearly 70% of the population telling us through this survey that at least they have acknowledged the importance of physical activity to their health and well-being, their physical and mental health and well-being. And there's an acknowledgement there that can lead to action if we get it right. So what obligation, I think, you know, if there is one from Sports England and from UK Coaching, but more importantly, I think, from those organisations that employ, uh, you know, coaches, use coaches, the, the, both in terms of the local authorities, both in terms of governing bodies and so many other organisations as well, is to think about the, 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 the consequences of actions now for the future and actually try and work with people to understand what's needed and to see how important the workforce will be, this coaching workforce particularly, will be to people's experience when they return. You know, what will the, you know, the dynamic that you will have with other people, the fact that there could be for some period of time still physical restrictions and social distancing, the fact that the environments won't be the same, people are going to have different needs and different priorities, health and health and well-being, you know, the sanitation, you know, uh, cleanliness, equipment, all these, these things are going to matter so much more to people than perhaps they did previously. And coaches and everyone involved are going to have to be thoughtful about their responsibility there, but so are the organisations uh, that employ them. So definitely there's an obligation, I think, to be thinking now not only about the inevitable challenge of the short term, 
that you know as we move towards a greater lessening of restriction the world that we return to will not be the same uh, and to and to just assume that that's the ambition is is to miss a huge um opportunity so yeah that's that's kind of where i think we're at right now and um i mean i the for me, there's there's so much in that. I think I think Mark, when I if I turn to you now, I think is that your polite way of saying that was too long an answer? No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But I'd love to unpick a lot of it. But yeah, we yeah, we yeah. Have, we're a little bit constrained by time. Yeah, no, but I'm I, sorry. I'll be sure. No, that, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm I, I'm the last person who should ever um, uh, uh, say anything to anybody about about talking too long about anything. If anybody any of you have heard me talk on podcasts in the past, um, but um, uh, Mark, I just come to you on this. Um, so, you know, you, one of your, well, your main stated goal as an organization is that you're, you're here for the coach, you're there for the coach. And, um, you know, you're, you're very, you've got that kind of real challenge of wanting to support, you know, kind of the volunteer helper mum and dad who helps out on a Sunday or Saturday morning uh, with their, you know, with their children involved in a range of different sports and activities, right through to sort of professionals who are working in either at the elite level or, you know, personal trainers or instructors. You know, there's a whole range of different needs by all those organizations and supporting them. Um, you know, because many of them have been affected, you know, either by the fact that they're not able to engage in the way that they would engage and their engagement in their community sport activities is a big part of their, um, you know, their kind of life and their, their social life and, you know, has a has an effect on them in terms of their mental health and the social isolation. But then also there's the, you know, the employed side of, of the, those who are employed to do this, whether it's part or full time, have had some serious impacts on, on their livelihoods. So there's quite a lot of different needs there. So I wonder if you could just speak a little bit about the stuff that, that uh, the organization has done to support on, on sort of both of those strands, really. Yeah, I, I think there's two key sort of uh, responses, really. Um, one sort of travels on from what Tim was saying. Coaching changing. Uh, I think, don't get me wrong, the technical skills and requirements of any given sporting or, or physical activity are absolutely paramount. Um, however, it's, it's back to where we first started. Coaching is about people. Uh, and I think one of the aspirations that we have an organisation supported by yourselves is that Coaching is people-focused first. So we often talk about great coaching, uh, not just good coaching, but great coaching. And the differentiator for us is a coach who is able to connect with the person or people in front of them that are, are taking part. And, you know, that comes to Tim's point about it being a much deeper uh, relationship than just imparting knowledge, you know, how to uh, throw a javelin or how to spin past a rugby ball or, or hit a shuttlecock. It, it's much more about the person and giving that person, if you like, some coaching about them and how they develop. So I think coaching is evolving, and that's one of our aspirations, that, that everybody that's a coach is a great coach. And, and what that requires is, is the right soft skills or people skills. Um, so to Tim's point, you know, we're really pleased that working in partnership with Sport England and Mind, one of the things that we're aware of is, you know, what does this look like when everybody starts to come back to a semi-state of normal? And what will have happened to people in, in the sort of restricted period of time that we've not been allowed to, to come out and take part? There, there will be some health and well-being issues. So to that point, we've worked with Sport England and Mind. And uh, as of next week, we're making available uh, mental health and well-being training for all of the coaching workforce free of charge. Um, so that's something that will upskill those coaches to be able to better deal with 
and recognize the signs of somebody that might be struggling or might have struggled through this period and might be struggling to, to re-engage. So any of those sorts of people skills that we can provide, we're doing an awful lot to try and do that. I think the second point as well, and, and I'm sure all of us will um, concur with this, but the amount of time that we've probably spent on computers uh, through Zoom or Teams or whatever forum that we have and, and the, the kind of constant daily routine that we're now in, you know, people are going to start to want to do things a little bit quicker and a bit shorter. So what we're trying to do is make sure that there's enough learning and development available in this period that's available digitally that's short and snappy so that we're not taking hours and hours and hours of people's time. And that actually might then have an impact on the way we do this in the future. Actually, what can people learn in their own time when they want it, as they want it, rather than it being a, a full week of, of training or, or you know, several weekends? Can we actually start to modulize some of this learning for the coaching workforce so that they can actually use their time more effectively and those half hour or hour times that they might get um, actually sort of carry on their learning and development there. So, and again, I know that's an aspiration actually that was in the coaching plan for England uh, that came out of Sport England to, to start breaking up the, the sort of learning so that it's more modular, um, not taking away any of the quality, but actually just making better use of people's time. And one thing while we're just on that subject, Mark, I know you've got you've done some really uh, innovative things, uh, particularly around the area of, uh, of safeguarding and, uh, and and taking the what was a, essentially a face to face training course and putting it into a virtual classroom. And by all accounts, that's been really, really successful. So just be just be worth just exploring that for a second. Yeah, I mean, obviously, one of the aspirations we've got is that the coaching workforce, given that they have such an impact, uh, as we said right at the beginning, on communities, we want to make sure that coaches in this period are continue to be current. Uh, and one of the ones, you know, bearing in mind, it's probably going to be between three and six months before we come back out of it at the end of the summer. We want to make sure that people are ready to come back to, to coaching, um, particularly those volunteer coaches who give up their time so, so willingly. So one of the things we did, we worked with the, the NSPCC and we suggested to them that the, the current first sort of education that you have around safeguarding and protecting uh, vulnerable adults is normally a face-to-face -face workshop. So what we, we did, we worked with them to take that into a still face-to-face, -face, but an online classroom. Uh, and actually what we've realized is, and what's come back is that the quality of some of the conversations has actually been better. Uh, than possibly they had before. Um, maybe it's because we've actually changed some of the sort of nature of how we interact online as opposed to sitting in a classroom and just listening. It's been much more conversational, so people have been much more willing to ask questions and give up some of their experiences. Um, but also the fact that it's, it means that people don't actually have to travel to find a venue. We don't have to hire a venue. They don't have to travel back from a venue. So actually it's, it's real live time, and it's still face-to-face -face because we're just using technology to do that. Um, you know, who's to say that that's not something that we can continue to do because it's still face to face, as is the requirement so that people can ask those sometimes quite sensitive and difficult questions. But ultimately, it's still face to face. It's just done through a, a much more time efficient uh, methodology now. 
I mean, it's an interesting reflection, I think, because from my perspective, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, within the within the coaching plan, we we'd mentioned the use of technology several times. And there was a number of organizations moving in that direction. Yourselves, you know, probably right at the forefront of that and making significant investments into your your technological capability to be able to, if you like, democratize learning and op open the opportunities for people to access learning to, so then they can engage people in a different way. And and that, and what's been really interesting is to see the adaptation. So there's almost like that, there's almost the constraints of people not being able to physically go to act to, to uh, learning and development experiences has meant that things have gone online. So people have been prepared to experiment and try different things out, which has opened access to a range of different people. And, and in many ways, that's one of been the important things. It's reduced some of the barriers to access, which, which would otherwise have been in place with cost and time and travel and all those sorts of things. Um, so in many ways, that sort of speaks a little bit to what you were talking about, Tim, in terms of, you know, there's, there's a number of things that have, I guess, uh, transpired through the process of lockdown that have brought about some significant behavior change. And as we move forward, you mentioned, mentioned earlier on this idea of, you know, there's been a sort of a, a disruption in place. Uh, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit around, I guess, the people aspect of of you know what you see to be the, the, the future as we move into sort of a new strategy phase and the framework came out um you know kind of fairly recently so i'd be really interested just to sort of explore that with you a little bit more yeah but it's really critical not least because uh the way we're going to frame some of the sense of our learning from this uh period um uh, and, uh, you know, recognizing some of the things that we're seeing, but also experiencing a sport England as well. And, you know, we're in 300 people. Uh, we already have a third of the organization who worked remotely. Um, we're now 100% of the organization who work remotely. You know, what will we be in a year's time? And what would that mean for even in a you know slightly less non-sporting context? But if you think about the coaching relationship internally and the line management, you know, element of, uh, of that, you know, what does that do suddenly to one of the bits of, what are the bits of this current environment which actually stop us from doing things better? And one of them, I would argue, is just that basic human interaction and the understanding uh, of individuals. Although we've probably all got much better at picking up on people's uh, sort of personal sense of health and well-being or their or their mental state online, generally this is a very transactional way of operating. And um, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, increasingly comfortable to do work potentially virtually, but actually, can you then understand the relationship with the person? And I would reflect that to, to coaching. Um, and I would certainly see that in the sports context, that our strategy, you know, I've used this almost from day one, but we haven't really veered away from an understanding of the need for a greater focus on, you know, the three P's of purpose, people and place, where, um, actually, we've done an awful lot of work and we were really coming to the conclusion of it before the virus struck to better understand Sport England's purpose, which is to say two things. One, what is the purpose of sport and physical activity in England? And then secondly, what is Sport England's purpose in providing that? And those two things are linked, but, but slightly different. And it comes back to the heart of everything that we're experiencing now, which is the benefit that it brings to both individuals and, and Mark started here, you know, the sort of sense of the fabric of, of the society, you know, the, the way that clubs, community groups and activities actually provide for, you know, individual community and ultimately national identity in a way that very few things do. So we really do believe very strongly in having a greater sense of purpose within the strategy and what we're, we're here to do and what sport and physical activity can bring to the nation. 
And at the other end, the third one, you know, everything has to be rooted in a sense of place. So I think we've been guilty, we use that word, uh, previously of not really thinking about place and thinking only about, you know, a national identity, a national solution for something and, you know, imposing it on a, on a, on a sort of unilateral basis. And clearly that's allowed for success where it's worked, but it's one of the things that I think has driven the inequalities that we seem to find very stubborn in activity levels, because inevitably you're only ever going to have a proportion of people for whom that works. If you think about place, you can actually start to adapt to a much more of a local environment and local needs. And our local delivery pilots through this strategy have been a real sort of, you know, pathfinder for how we can work and think differently in that respect. But you can only do that when the people are in place to support it, where you are creating the environment where it is both safe, and that will become one of the number one priorities and be interested not here, Mark, but think when you're thinking about your content online, actually your definition of a sort of safe and secure environment for people will, will be changing through this crisis. It, it will be for me. I'll be very much more sensitive myself to, you know, the environments that I'm going to be going back out into. So, you know, is it safe? Is it, is it, is it uh, um, you know, well run? Is it all those logistical and practical points? But ultimately, is it being held by a great coach to your definition? Is it somebody who understands the person as well as the skill? And is it someone who can actually create um, uh, something that can be genuinely inclusive? By which I mean, on one level, absolutely understanding that different communities and different parts of our community and society can look for and need different things but also once there does it feel like a session that is actually uh, going to benefit that person as part of a group potentially so i think you know the vital need for us is to think more in our strategy about the role of people in supporting uh, uh you know our desire to make sport and physical activity have a purpose in society and have a purpose for everyone in their individual lives and i think you know the phrase that's used at the moment, but you know, coaches are key workers for the sport and in, sport and physical activity mm. industry. They absolutely are. You know, we cannot we cannot do this without frontline coaches. Um, you know, my job takes me around the country uh, to see projects and programs largely that Sport England has funded in 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 normal times, and I'm always slightly in awe of the coach. And I don't know whether it's because obviously I'm you know it's a sort of a bit of a visit, but the quality of what I'm seeing in front of me just leaves me a bit you know, taken aback because I know how different a skill set that is to that which I possess, for example. And that ability to make something real and meaningful and also to provide you know, improvement in a technical sense, that's a huge skill. This can be absolutely critical uh, to us uh, you know, uh, moving forward with our strategy. So as we develop that, we're now, you mentioned it, you know, in the process of, of putting out a framework, which is to say we've spent six months talking to people about what our new strategy should be. We've got a pretty good handle on what people have said to us and a pretty good handle of the thinking behind it. So we can put this together in about 12, 15 pages of thoughts, uh, direction of travel, how we intend to work just as much as what we intend to do, where we think our focus will be and where we still want help to define that further. And the process of the next months, we thought probably we might just have to can it for a while, but actually there is an enthusiasm across the sector for engagement in this well not least because people are feeling and learning so much you mentioned the digital change and the enhancement of people's focus on that but i think there will be a chance by the end of the year for us to come together with something really quite meaningful and you know not to rush into it and we, we're going to delay some of the payments that we're making 
uh, sorry, not delay payments, sorry, we're going to delay the, the sort of year-end sense of next year to give people more certainty running through the back end of what we hope will be the end of uh, lockdown. Um, but, you know, introducing our new strategy at the start of 21 to really give a direct of travel for the next decade, you know, will absolutely hopefully give that focus to uh, what we've learned now, but also how we intend to build that still around that sense of core purpose for, bit, for sport and physical activity in society where it has to happen in the place, but ultimately the key workers are the, are the coaches and the deliverers of it, the people that support it. Mark, your response? Yeah, I mean, it's back to, to Tim's point where it's difficult to say this is an opportunity, but um, I think I'd be fibbing if I didn't say I was really excited about the future. Um, and, I, and I think that probably comes back to my point about us being fast-tracked as a result of the crisis we're in to really rethink things. Um, it also sort of, back to Tim's point again, is about people. So the skill set of a great coach who who might also not just work within physical activity and sport, you know, a volunteer coach who has those great coaching skills, they, they will probably take those coaching skills to their workplace or within their work. They'll take them to their family life. They'll take them to their friends. So coaching is a, is a people interaction. So I think... Yes, we are in a crisis and there's lots of guidance and advice on, on our partners' websites, including our own. Um, but actually, I think looking forward, this is quite an opportunity to, to rethink things. You know, we've been forced to rethink, but let's not lose the, that thinking. Let's not go too quickly back to what was normal. Let's rethink things and, and make the most of people's time and efforts and energy so that we can have a, a better impact. Um, and I think probably finally, the, the last phrase that Tim uh, or the last thing I wanted to say was the phrase that Tim used about disproportionate investment, you know, we totally believe in. And uh, in the coming weeks, we will have enhanced our platform to recognise people from um, certain areas within England, whereby they will get subsidised or potentially free resources from our website if they register, um, depending on where they are in the country. So I think that's a, a terrific um, philosophy and one that's probably been missed for a number of years in our sector and possibly wider so we're totally behind that concept of disproportionate investment to invest in communities that need it most well and i think just to add to that mark i mean it's not a new concept in one key sense which is is that there is really thoughtful work in the health sector based around it um the the, the academic theory comes from a chap called professor michael marmot uh, and I'm only mentioning this by way of explaining how, you know, what sounds really quite complicated can actually be very, very simple. He talks about a proportionate universalism, and that's our role. That's our job. That is Sport England's job in a nutshell. You know, he, he's talking about health, health interventions. You can't not invest in everyone's health because inevitably you'll see decline if you stop being universal in your approach. You, you, but you don't need to be, you know... Um, thinking that everyone needs exactly the same. There is absolutely the need to be proportionate uh, and you know, to focus on areas of greatest need. And it's such a marvelously simple thought because it tends to yeah. be a binary response and people's response, including to our sort of strategic ambition would be to say that we shouldn't be universal, that there should be whole swathes of the, you know, uh, you know, the, of the offer that should be you know, left to themselves or able to, able to support activity in a different way. I don't actually see it that way. We, we care about the activity of everybody, but we don't need to invest proportionately, you know, just, uh, the same in everybody. We need to be thoughtful and proportionate about where it goes, and it will be unashamedly against those inequalities. So 
while you know a, a theory of, of proportionate universalism sounds like a very grand way of putting it in simple terms it's the best and most coherent way of explaining why we think we can use our resource and our capacity and our strategy as effectively as we can to overcome those inequalities that otherwise will not disappear and, and i think um from my perspective there's that there, that principle will a hundred percent and does a hundred percent apply to everything we're trying to do in workforce development as well uh so in in terms of we know a hundred percent that um we don't we're, we're not able at the moment to reach into some of the communities and and encourage people from those communities to join our workforce it's just not available to them because of some of the systemic inequalities in just the way we provide education in a more formalized setting and so the shift away from that into a more what you might what, what you might call social learning experiences communities of learning communities of practice and those sorts of opportunities facilitated either digitally or face-to-face -face, for me is a big part of our future in workforce development and we've got yeah. lots and lots of evidence that suggests that this concept of people like me being really important in terms of engagement it goes back to what what you're both talking about and what mark was talking about around the people with the natural affinity with people in their community instead of it always being about i remember distinctly talking to a, a, a group saying why can't we be the ones who are doing the activity why do we always have to have somebody coming out of the community in to do the activity mm -hmm. and so that's going to be a really big part of the goal to support mm -hmm. what the, the wider work in terms of workforce development as well um, yeah, I'm, I'm conscious that um, I want to be very mindful of your time and, and um, you've both got an awful lot on at the moment. So uh, I, I think what I'd like to say is uh, if you've got any very quick final thoughts, I'd, I'd welcome those before we have to bring this to a close. Uh, Mark, can I start with you? Yeah, I, I just think more than ever, I mean, obviously we're here for the coach, but ultimately this is a sector response. Uh, and I think it's been terrific that so many leaders within the sector have come together probably not like any other time before to really support the whole of the sport and physical activity ecosystem. Uh, I think that's probably been the most stark thing that I've noticed that this is a, a collection of, of people coming together to make sure that we don't lose what's fantastic for our nation through sport and physical activity. And Tim? Yeah, I would wholly concur with that ambition. Um, we're finding that people are understanding that sport and physical activity can be uh, important in their lives and, and you know, is important to their health and well-being. We've got to collectively build on that. Uh, we've got to understand uh, that, uh, to do something Mark said earlier, you know, when we return to normal, what bits of normal do we want to return to? We can't just assume it's going to go back to, to where it was before, nor should it. Uh, and I think lastly, for, for those that are listening in, apart from once again to to say how much we recognize and value the role of frontline coaches, particularly in supporting a strategic ambition, um, that sort of key worker sense, is to acknowledge that this has been an unprecedented period, but it will, it will pass. And I think inevitably, you know, I started this podcast outlining our first interventions. You know, you, you manage a crisis in a, in a top-down way. You have to. But you must manage a, a sort of the recovery from a crisis much more bottom-up. And I think our commitment has got to be uh, that we will try and seek to be more responsive uh, and bottom-up and, and collegiate and collaborative around how we set the tone for recovery that will make sure that we not only survive but thrive and that physical activity uh, and its benefit uh, and the role that sport plays in society is at the centre of our thinking. 
Well, can I thank you both for taking the time to, uh, to, to record this? And I know it will make a massive difference to the people who are out there on the front line. And uh, I really appreciate uh, everything that you're doing and the work that you're putting in to, uh, to provide that level of support. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.